Hello, my rebels. Today, I tell you about something that you might think is fiction. Oh, but I'm reading from a real document. It's a plastics tax. Yeah, you heard me. Just stop for a second and think about how much plastic is in your life. Now imagine paying a tax to Catherine McKenna for the privilege of using your plastic. That's what I'm going to talk about. I want to show you excerpts from the key document. But folks, can you become a premium subscriber of The Rebel so you can see the video form? This podcast is free, and I hope you enjoy it. But if you become a premium subscriber, you can see the video version of it too, which is, I think, quite interesting. I also show a picture of a river in China. you got to see this picture, friends. If you go to therebel.media slash shows, you can become a premium subscriber get my show, Sheila Gunn Reed's show, David Menzies' show. And even if you don't want to watch the video version, if you just like the podcast, it helps us. It's eight bucks a month, and that pays the bills. I would be grateful. All right, folks, without further ado, here is today's show about the plastics tax. You are listening to a Rebel Media podcast. Tonight, are you ready for Trudeau's next tax? A tax on plastic. It's April 24th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Hey, how are you enjoying Justin Trudeau's carbon tax? Well, do you know what else is made from carbon, made from hydrocarbons? Well, plastics are. Are you ready for a plastics tax? Justin Trudeau and his extremist, shouty cabinet minister, Catherine McKenna, they're contemplating one. I'll get back to that later, but I just got to tell you before I get into their proposal, I've never seen an anti-oil protest that would even be possible without oil. They all drive to the protests, of course. They all have modern clothing, much of which has some sort of artificial fiber in it. Think of winter jackets, boots, gloves. Think of backpacks. Think of high-tech plastic and metal cell phones. Think of vinyl protest banners. You really can't function in the modern world without plastic, you know. I mean, obviously. They weren't kidding in that old movie, The Graduate. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Plastics. Now, that movie was made 52 years ago, if my math is right. And wouldn't you know it, that was actually great career advice. Everything is plastic, and why not? It's durable because it's impermeable. It's great for waterproof things. It's non-toxic. It doesn't leach into things. It can be made in almost any shape. And it doesn't just let us do new things. It lets us do old things better. In many cases, for example, uh, PVC pipes are better than, better than metal pipes or concrete pipes. Like water mains, they don't break or leak as much or corrode. I'm saying the obvious. It's like saying, hey, guys, this telephone invention is really great. It's so useful. Yeah, plastic, it's ubiquitous. Even the Unabomber who renounced modern technology and blew people up. Well, take a look at his little cabin in the forest. Lots of wood, but of course, you can't make a stove out of wood, so that's iron in there. And look at those plastic bags and plastic jugs, and there were plastic water bottles, because really, how are you going to keep water? In some sort of bladder you make out of an animal, leather or something? Are you going to blow glass out of sand or something. Obviously, you're going to use plastic, even the Unabomber. I know I'm saying the obvious here, but look, they're literally taxing the air right now, carbon dioxide, that naturally occurring trace gas. And by that, I mean it's just 400 parts per million parts of air 
It's actually 40,000 parts per million in the breath we exhale. Our breath has literally 100 times more CO2 in it than the regular air. That's how insane it is to tax carbon dioxide, the stuff of life. But why not? I mean, if you're into taxes, why not tax the air? People can't live without it, so they got to pay the tax. You have to demonize air a bit, as they've done with carbon. That's element number six in the periodic table. Imagine anathematizing a natural chemical element and teaching people that it's wrong. Oh, I hate, uh, I hate nitrogen. We must tax hydrogen. You would be called crazy, um, which they are. And the problem is no one of authority has called out the crazy. They're all afraid to fight on the science. They're afraid of being called a denier or whatever. So they accept the fake science and try and fight these carbon tax ideas on other grounds. But that's the problem. If you agree with the premise that carbon by the way, we're made of carbon, too. If we agree with the premise that carbon is poison, which, of course, it's not. All life on Earth would die without carbon dioxide. All, all plant life, anything green, anything with chlorophyll in it, uses carbon dioxide in photosynthesis. Every single plant and flower and crop would die without CO2. If you agree that carbon dioxide is poison, it's pollution, then how can you then oppose fighting the pollution? And the logic flows to plastic. Plastic, one of the greatest inventions. I know I sound crazy talking about how good plastic is because we all just know it. Just we don't pay attention to the wallpaper. Or we don't pay attention to you know things we just know. Well, think about it for 60 seconds. We never do think about it for 60 seconds. Look through your bathroom. Think of all the little containers. Look in your fridge. Look in your car. I'll stop because it's nuts to have to make the case for plastic. But actually, nobody is. And we've all conceded that carbon is bad. It is not bad. I remember a few years ago watching my old friend and boss, Preston Manning, give a speech at his Manning Center. And he made the case for green conservatism. It was really painful to watch. I knew that Manning had utterly changed from the principled Western conservative who so strongly opposed the Kyoto Protocol in the 90s. I worked for him back then. <clears throat> Preston gave a speech, and not only did he join the warm, global warming cult, but he came out against plastic. I, I'm not even, I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Remember this? There's more effective ways of tackling environmental problems, including global warming, proliferation of plastics, urban sprawl, biodiversity. I later found out, to my despair, that Preston Manning was taking money from the Tides Foundation. And I got to tell you, that pretty much broke my heart. I mean, the anti-plastic crusade is a real thing. Look at this kooky crap that I saw on the CBC website just today. Do you see that there? It's a, it's a propaganda page called CBC Parents. Our Easter isn't about religion. It's about family and living plastic-free. Um... Well, sister, I guess that is your religion then, isn't it? Your superstition. You're now some crazy, eco-apocalyptic millenarian or something. Hey, do you think the CBC will do that same story for Ramadan or another Muslim holiday, though? Um, Ramadan isn't about religion. It's about global warming. <laughs> yeah, they'd get blowed up real good. Anyways, you beat that anti-plastic drum long enough, and people pick up the beat. And look at this headline in... Blacklock's reporter today, which, as you remember, Blacklock's reporter, one of the few independent media left in the country that refused to take the government bailout. They're based in Ottawa, so they do great research on Ottawa. I'm a paid subscriber to Blacklock's. I recommend them to you if you have the money. Anyways, look at that story there. 
Fed report eyes plastic tax. And um, they say Parliament should consider a plastic tax, says an Environment Canada report. Researchers caution the tax would cost consumers since plastics are found in almost every manufactured product. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, don't tell that to Trudeau and McKenna. They'll like that tax idea even more. Anyway, so it's, it's called an economic study of the Canadian plastics industry markets and waste. And as you can see, it is on Environment Canada stationery. You can see right at the bottom there. And though they paid external, quote, experts to write it, um, this project was overseen, funded, and coordinated by Environment Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada. That's the government. So this is the product of Catherine McKenna's fevered mind. And I mean, I really do think she's going mad. Remember this? So let's talk about climate change for a second. Who believes it's real? <laughs> Who believes it's science? year that said we have 12 years to take serious climate action. We are all in this together. We need to act. Now, I have read the entire plastics report. It is 43 pages of content plus all sorts of definitions and summaries and diagrams. And as I read, I read it for you, people. And do not read it. Do not read it. I could feel my mind slowly pickling like it was in a pickle jar. I was slowly going crazy, reading so much crazy. And I gotta say, if all I did every day was to be immersed in that kind of crazy, I might start to sound like this. So let's talk about climate change for a second. Who believes it's real? <laughs> Who believes it's science? year that said we have 12 years to take serious climate action. I noticed uh, there were plastic Liberal Party signs there. I guess those are climate criminals. Anyways, this 43-page report, this report that we paid who knows how much money to study a plastics tax, actually treated the idea seriously. It's an insane idea, which is pretty much evident when you read the report, because plastics are so ubiquitous, it really is like taxing air, like taxing carbon. Um, and look at this here. Uh, this is a chart from the report. It shows. Look at all the amount of, of plastics, packaging, construction. I sort of forgot about how much plastic is in construction. Automotives, that's a, that's a big user of it. Electronics, of course. It really would be like taxing air. And the idea of recycling all these plastics is nuts, too. And the report specifically says that. Can I read you a paragraph from the report? I know I'm quoting from the Book of Crazy here, but that shouty cult leader demanded a report on taxing plastic and forcing people to recycle plastic. Even though plastic is harmless, it's not toxic, it's not poisonous, it's fine. Um, we, we lick it, we eat plastic cutlery and plastic plates. But here, let me just quote for, for a paragraph from this report of crazy. Uh, let me quote. Plastic collected but discarded. In the automotive and white goods sector, e.g. large appliances such as fridges or stoves, as well as small household appliances like a food processor, electric kettles. Those are called white goods. I didn't know that. The recycling of plastic is almost non-existent. Diversion rates are, however, very high. 100% for automotive. 64% for white goods. As products are collected for recycling, however, they are usually sent to a shredder where only the material of interest, generally the metal content, 
is sorted and sent to recyclers. It is indeed more cost-effective and less labor-intensive to crush and shred vehicles or appliances for metal recycling than to dismantle parts, including plastic parts. Now that's a little bit of sane talk in a reporter crazy. You saw the chart though, plastics in our fridges, plastics in cars, it's a huge use of plastic. And it is all diverted, it's not dumped in the landfill. You don't see cars in the landfill, do you? But even these reporters, or this, this research, they were clear, it takes so much effort and energy and manpower to recycle the plastic out of a fridge or a car. No one does it. You saw what they said, it doesn't make any sense because it would be insane to try. Or to put it in a way that you'd think an environmentalist might care about, it would take more energy, more resources to recycle it than you would save by recycling. It would take more resources to recycle a fridge or a car than would be, than, than building a new one from scratch. That's why you have to subsidize recycling to get it done. It doesn't make sense, especially for things for which there is no shortage at all. There is no need to recycle paper. Trees are renewable. Trees are so cheap. It's so cheap to plant new ones and harvest new trees. It makes no sense to recycle paper. It, it takes more effort and energy and chemicals. And by the way, just throw paper in the, in the landfill. It's biodegradable. Just bury it. Same with plastic. It, it doesn't, you know, it's not biodegradable, but it's inert. It's not going to poison anybody. Why are you recycling plastic anyways? It's not harmful in any way. It's cheaper ecologically just to make new plastic. The only thing that makes any sense to recycle is metal, because metal is worth enough, which is why you don't need to pay people to do something so common sense in environmental. People re recycle metal and did long before the government came along because it's a lot cheaper to recycle metal than mine more metal from the center of the earth. I don't know if you remember, but until a year ago, uh, did you know that Canada shipped most of our quote recycling to China? Did you know that? We literally paid to put trash on trains and trains to boats and send our trash around the world across the largest ocean, the Pacific, to China. Toronto sent its garbage to China. And we would close our eyes and ears and pretend we were recycling it. <laughs> As opposed to what, do you think China was really recycling it? Or do you think it was just dumping it in a river or someplace? But then, I don't know, for some reason, about a year ago, China suddenly said, no, 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 keep your crap. They stopped taking our recycling. So cities all across Canada started to warehouse it. While we all kept sorting our garbage and our recyclables, recyclables as if it was being recycled, it was being warehoused. It was being stored. Lots of government sector jobs involved in this whole BS, uh, fake work, make work, lots of busy work. Makes no sense to recycle financially. It makes no sense environmentally. Um, here's a story this week in the Philippines Star newspaper. Uh, Duterte, that's their president over there. Take back garbage or I will sail to Canada and dump trash. I've just got to read this to you. This is where our recycling is going. Can I read a little bit about the garbage war that's looming with the Philippines? President Duterte ordered the Customs Bureau to return to Canada the trash it sent to the Philippines a few years ago. I guess they've just been holding on to it. As he chided the North American country for supposedly turning Manila into a dump site. 
Duterte said Tuesday that Canada should prepare a grand reception for its waste, which arrived in the Philippines in 2013. They've been holding our garbage for six years. And here's what he said. I want a boat prepared. I'll give a warning to Canada, maybe next week, that they better pull that thing out or I will set sail. They're in Canada. I will dump their trash there, the president said during a meeting on the effects of an earthquake in Pampanga. Here, can I, can I play a quick clip of this president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, declaring a garbage war against Loaded Justin Trudeau? the containers to a ship and advise, I will advise Canada that your garbage is uh, on, uh, on, on the way. Prepare a grand reception. <laughs> Eat it if you want to. How awesome is that? I should warn the president of the Philippines. He should know something about our country. That when he sails it to the west coast, he will encounter the city of Victoria, which dumps its raw, untreated sewage right into the Pacific Ocean, untreated. Try and get through that, Mr. Invader. I got to say, why are we sending our garbage to the Philippines? And, and you thought it was recycled? They've been holding on to it for six years. Anyways, this whole thing is nuts. But can I get back to the new crazy part? The, this report that Catherine McKenna commissioned? So what's their plan? Well, as always, liberals want to do what they do. They, they fine you and they, they ban things. Uh, the word tax appeared 11 times in this document. Like this, let me read this. Set two, get everybody on board to collect all plastics. Create sector-specific requirements for collection, e.g. extended producer responsibility, performance agreements. Restrict disposal, e.g. landfill taxes or bans. Require incentivized collection, e.g. industry targets, deposit refund. Develop more consistent requirements and rules across Canada, e.g. common curbside recycling. Improve public information on collection and recyclability. Here comes the propaganda. So they're going to ban plastics in the landfill. Okay. They're going to require people to pay a deposit for anything plastic. You're going to get another curbside bucket. How many do you have right now? How many garbage cans do you have at home right now? I'm guessing you got three. I got three. Because I live in the People's Republic of Toronto. So you're going to get a fourth one. And look at all this craziness. I'm going to read a little more. Introducing a right to repair. A right. Legal right that requires manufacturers to provide repair information, tools, and replacement parts to independent repair shops as well as product owners. Oh, okay. I guess things aren't hard enough to be a manufacturer in Canada. Now there is a legal right to repair. If something you have that goes wrong, well, the factory now has a legal obligation to repair it for you. Look, plastic is durable and amazing. It needs repair less than most other materials. But now you're going to have lawyers suing manufacturers because you have a completely new, made-up legal right to have your stuff repaired. <laughs> Last factory out of Ontario. Please turn off the lights. There was so much crazy in this report. I, my head started hurting. It's like someone said, hey, write a 43-page report about how we would go about taxing. I don't know. What's the dumbest thing I could? Taxing smiles. Smiles, that's right, if you're smiling. Just something so weird and dumb, like a silly children's book story about the evil king who taxed smiles or something. But actually telling a group of economists and bureaucrats, um, can you write a study about this? And they'd say, yeah, if you pay us enough, we'll actually draft a plan to 
tax smiles or whatever. I know that's a stupid comparison, but I really can't come up with anything as dumb because they've already decided to tax air or at least carbon dioxide. So I got nothing. I got nothing. Look, the whole thing is a lie. Here's a story in Scientific American. Stemming uh, the, t- the plastic tide. Ten rivers contribute most of the plastic in the oceans. And I don't know if you guys can scroll down there, but the Yangtze River alone pours up to an estimate. This is the, the subheadline there. Yeah, look at that. The Yangtze River alone pours an estimated 1.5 million tons of plastic into the Yellow Sea. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at, look at that. Look at those pictures. And that's not the crap we ship there. That's their own crap. So this isn't Canada exporting our crap. It's a China problem. It's an India problem. It's a third world problem. We don't need to punish Canadians by banning straws here. Uh, so um, the problem of air or carbon dioxide is also not a Canadian problem. We emit 2% of the world's man-made carbon dioxide in Canada. China is by far the world's biggest emitter, bigger than any other country. But we're taxing and punishing Canadians with a carbon tax to solve really a Chinese issue that isn't even a real problem, carbon dioxide, that is. Now, garbage is a real problem. That frankly, if we stop wasting all this money and effort on solar panels and wind turbines, maybe we actually have some money to solve the garbage problem if we really cared about the real environment. That was a crazy picture there. So yeah, a plastics tax. And I don't see it being adopted in the liberal platform in the election this fall, but for 2023, Yeah, probably. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, we have covered the heck out of the Alberta election a couple of weeks ago, but guess what? Prince Edward Island had an election too, and lo and behold, the littlest province voted conservative. At least it looks like it'll be a conservative minority government. Those decisions are not made by voters, actually, but by the lieutenant governor of a province. But it looks like a conservative minority in Prince Edward Island, a little province I always thought was perpetually liberal. My gosh, it's almost as if Justin Trudeau is killing the liberal brand. At least that's what it looks like from coast to coast. What used to be a swath of red, There's only, I think, two provinces left that are liberal. Joining us now in studio here in Rebel World headquarters is our reporter, Kian Bexty, who covered the Alberta election so well with Sheila Gunn-Reed. Great to see you, Kian. Welcome to Toronto. (laughs) I I welcome you here to Rebel World headquarters, but we certainly have been fighting the fight out there in Alberta. What do you make of Prince Edward Island going conservative? Well, I I would attribute it mainly to the surge in the green vote. I think that the left-wing voters in PEI are so disenfranchised with the liberal brand that the liberals came in third place. That's unbelievable to me. Oh, it's crazy. And it, the, the Green Party is doing so well, and it's it, they did historically well because they, they've, I don't even know if they've ever formed opposition before. I can't think of a case where they would have. Now, <laughs> excuse me, is the Green Party in Prince Edward Island, I know you've been um, doing some, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, everyone loves Prince Edward Island. It's so small, and it's you have to make a point of going there. It's not like you pass through wit. Um, I acknowledge that we at the Rebel haven't given it a, a lot of attention in our time, um, and you're a Western boy. But give me your thoughts on on the Green Party itself. Was it pe- were people voting for its greenness or its anybody but the liberalsness? 
I, I'm going to go with the latter. I think it is an anybody but the liberals uh, situation there. And I'm, I might even end up going there soon to, to ask the folks there mm -hmm. why, why they're so disenfranchised with the liberals. Uh, and, and we're seeing it not just in PEI, but New Brunswick. Uh, they they uh, elected the Progressive Conservatives with a coalition with an even farther right-wing party. I was delighted to see in Alberta the Liberals got, what was it, 1% of the vote? Oh, it was minuscule. I they, think it really, I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not joking, I think yeah. it was actually 1%. There's there's no, any any voter in, in Alberta who's voting Liberal is probably doing it by accident. Or or they may be in jail, I think. Yeah. Uh, do, do criminals have the right to vote in Canada? I think they yeah. do. Yeah. So that's who that 1% would yeah. be. Yeah. Well, David Kahn, the leader of the Liberal Party in Alberta, he came in third place in his own That's riding. too high for me. That's, too, that's too close for comfort for me. Yeah. <laughs> we will not uh, be satisfied until there's no Liberals on the ballot. Well, um, I think it's amazing because uh, the Liberals used to boast that this percentage of Canadians live under a premium that supports a carbon tax or something like that. Um, BC has a carbon tax and they're paying some of the highest gas prices in the free world, well, that's not true. Europe is worse, but certainly the highest on the continent. Alberta just turned conservative. Saskatchewan's conservative. Manitoba's conservative. Ontario is Doug Ford conservative. He ran on the carbon tax, uh, fighting against it. Quebec, they're a little bit green, but uh, the party is blue. Yeah. That's where I would go. It's, it's, it's not a lot of liberal red left. I, I mean, I guess the pendulum swings back and forth. I wonder how much of it is ideology and how much of it is people just tired of Trudeau. Well, they're tired of the gaffes, you know, from India all the way to SNC-Lavalin. Uh, they're tired. And if we're going to see what's going to happen in Newfoundland and Labrador because their election's coming up in May. Mm. There's, the, the tides are changing in the Maritimes, I think, because they, it's not just provincially that they elected liberals uh, historically. The last federal election was a liberal sweep. Liberal sweep of the, of the Atlantic. I, I think that um, people do punish a federal leader provincially. They also sometimes understand instinctively it's good to have split government. It's a form of a check and balance. We yeah. don't have as many checks and balances in our governing system as the Americans do. I mean, that whole Mueller escapade, which I think a lot of our viewers, and I certainly thought was a wild goose chase, a witch hunt as Trump calls it, that's all true, but it shows that there are natural checks and balance on, a, on even the most powerful man in, in the world. In Canada, we don't have that. Like, there ought to be a special inquiry mm -hmm. into the SNC-Lavalin corruption. It's so clearly corrupt. There won't be in Canada. So I think organically, intuitively, Canadians say, all right, well, if you're out of control, Justin Trudeau and your liberals, maybe it's good to have some counterweights called Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, and, and other provincial premiers. Maybe that's a natural reaction to not having proper structures in place to hold Trudeau and other leaders to account. Well, it could be, but this is, this is historic. Well, at least in my lifetime, there's never been a situation where this many conservatives hold this much provincial clout. It's from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick, and now PEI. Uh, it, none of it and the Northwest Territories are consensus governments, so they don't really count. And I guess you could count Yukon as, as a liberal government. Uh, but this, this seven government coalition almost of conservatives puts us in a really unique situation uh, where we could even start seeing constitutional amendments mm. that we haven't seen in, in decades. I saw you mention that. Um, I can't think of any constitutional amendment for which there's a public appetite right now. Maybe not. What, what, what would you think of? I mean, well, yes, I, the, theoretically the numbers are there, but 
I, I just would be surprised to see it. Well, it's enshrining property. I, and again, I'm from Alberta. That's where I live and breathe. And that's the people I talk to. Uh, Albertans have an appetite for property rights, mm. uh, enshrining them in our constitution. We've had a few cases in both Saskatchewan and Alberta where farmers have been defending their property from thieves. Yeah. And, and they've been uh, drugged through the courts because Canadians do not have the right to enjoy their property exclusively and, and maintain that right separate from government. Mm. And I think Albertans are frustrated with that. Maybe Quebecers aren't, maybe people in New Brunswick aren't, but these are conversations I think Conservatives should be having because we have a unique opportunity here, one we might not have again. Yeah, it's very interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Well, listen, I thought you did a great job in Alberta crisscrossing the province and Sheila Gunn-Reed too. And, you know, there are 10 provinces, three territories and a federal election coming. And so hopefully we'll, uh, maybe put you on the road and play. I mean, you, Alberta's your home, but I think the kind of approach you took to, to covering that election was very interesting. I like the style of really hunting down Anne McGrath in Calgary Varsity. I thought that was a real win. We did some activism with our lawn signs there too. I think what we did in Alberta, I'd love to replicate elsewhere in the country and maybe you'd be up for some of those missions. Well, yeah, I would love to. I'm super interested in uh, NBC right now. Yeah. I'm going to Vancouver to talk to them about their gas prices. They're yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I think I saw a gas, a picture of a gas pump. I think it was $2. I think I saw a premium yeah. uh, blend at hitting the $2 mark. That is insane, but that is what a carbon tax promises to do. It's supposed to make using carbon so painful that you make better choices. So I wonder who they blame. I wonder who, do they blame John Horgan more for not standing up? against Justin Trudeau. Do they blame Justin Trudeau personally? Or, you know, I don't know. I well, there's special taxes in the city of Vancouver, and of course they have their own carbon tax. I think they have to blame themselves, and really, who did the voters choose? Well, Keen, it's great to see you here in Toronto, and good luck on your journey. Thanks. All right, stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about the CBC producer lashing out at the nobodies who complained about Omar Carter's Easter Sunday TV appearance. Henry writes, why exactly is the taxpayer forced to fund the CBC for this kind of garbage? Well, um, that's a good question. It's a question that we could put to Justin Trudeau, but it's a question we could have put to Stephen Harper for nine years too, isn't it? And it's a question we should put to Andrew Scheer. Because if he becomes prime minister in this fall, which is now a possibility, I wouldn't have thought so uh, six months ago, but it's a possibility now. You think he's going to do anything to rein them in? Do you really think so? He has never said he would. Michael writes, if the money is really for all Canadians, maybe he should pass some of it around. Yeah, yeah it's actually um, not for all Canadians, it's from all Canadians. Maybe he just misspoke. But uh, you know who has a claim to it is Tabitha Spear and Lane Morris, who sued Omar Khadr and actually have a judgment in an American court for damages. He murdered Tabitha Spear's husband and blinded Lane Morris in one eye. But Trudeau literally colluded with Omar Khadr's lawyers to hide the money from those lawsuits. On my interview with Lauren Gunter, Bruce writes, If I were Kenny, I'd shut off the flow of gas to BC and shut off the flow of money to Quebec. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a picture today of a gas pump in BC for the for the premium blend uh, for two bucks, two bucks a liter. You shut off uh, the oil to that in the existing Trans Mountain pipeline. You just cut it off of the source. And the government of Alberta has that constitutional jurisdiction to do that. 
um, you're going to have $5, $10, $20 gas. More to the point, you're going to have no gas. Uh, you'll just shut it off. And isn't that really what Justin Trudeau and uh, the premier of BC want? They want a high carbon price to make you make better choices. Well, let's help them make the choice. Now, I don't, I, I think that most British Columbians don't go along with this BS. I've, I've seen every single poll I've ever seen on pipeline shows that British Columbians will support a pipeline if it's just up to standards. I've never seen a single poll showing that more British Columbians oppose pipelines than support. Have you? Well, folks, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Mm-hmm.